Okay, we're learning Daf Mem Dalit. Daf Mem Dalit, top of the Amit. The Gemara says, Amar Mar, you buy Baha'i Gavi, you buy Baha'i Gavi. So, what's the case that we're discussing? We're discussing a case where a woman has two ksubas. Now, remember what happens when a person has a document is that in, in the date of the document, there is a lien which is placed on the property of the person who owes the money. So, if a man writes a woman a ksuba, so that means in the time of the, of the ksuba, there's a lien on all the properties of the husband that they are meshubah, they're responsible to pay back uh, this amount of money if the marriage would be terminated. So the situation where a woman has two ksubas was fascinating. They're worth different amounts. So the original one with the earlier date was only worth 200 zuz, but the one with the later date is worth 300 zuz. So now she shows up. Obviously, they're not both. She can't collect 500 zuz, as the Gemara said yesterday. But the question is, if she's collecting from properties that the husband sold throughout their marriage, so what can she collect from? So the Gemara explains as follows. If she's going to use the ksuba that says 200, then she can collect from properties that were sold after the earlier date. But if she, sell, but if she wants to collect 300, then she can only collect from properties that were sold after the second date. And that's the idea. The second time, the second star, that's man is mishabed. Uh, is, is Meshavit only from the time that it was written. So the 300 Zuz that it says in the second document, that's only Meshavit from its time. If she wants to collect only 200 Zuz, then she can collect from the earlier time, from properties that were sold from the earlier date. So that's what we said. So again, she wants to collect with the first one, the one 200 Zuz, she could collect from the first date. She wants to collect with the other one, the one that says 300 Zuz, Ksuba, then she could collect from the second date. So the Gemara says, let's say that this whole concept here where a person has two Ksubas and we're saying that she has the option of using either one, let's say that that argues on that which Rav Nachman said, let's say a person has, he's a, he has a field and he's got two different deeds. He's got two different Shtaros that both say that he is the, uh, the owner. That they, that, they, that they show about some transfer about who is the owner of the field. The second one actually nullifies the first. So in this case, Shimon's got two different shtaros on the same field. One says that Ruvain sold it to him, let's say in Nisan. And the other one says, you know, it was an ear. So they're a month apart, but they're both saying the same thing. So now, what is the, what is the question here? The question is, what happens if somebody... Uh, if somebody seizes the field away from Shimon, and why would that be able to do that? Why would someone be able to do that? Let's say Ruven owed somebody else money. So someone shows up on, Ruven, on this field that Shimon thought he purchased, and he says, actually, I'm, I have a right to it because Ruven owed me money. He had no right to sell it to you. The property actually had a lien on it, and he comes and he wants to collect. So the question basically is, let's say Ruven had, 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 had borrowed the money between Nissan and Ir. So it depends which document you follow. If you follow the document, uh, that says that the transfer happened in Nissan, so then he's, the Shimon is fine because the, 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 the Shimon, Shimon only, Reuven only owed the money after he already, he already had become the owner of the field. But if you go after the second star, after the second date, so then now, now it doesn't work, you know, he's all, he, 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 this, this property was already Meshubah to somebody else. And now the big difference is going to be the warranty on this sale. Can Shimon now go back to Ruvain if it's taken away from him? Can Shimon go back to Ruvain and say, hey, I got the field taken away. Now you have to restore me the field or not. So Reb Nachman says, you always follow the second date. If there are two shtaros saying that Ruvain sold the field to Shimon, 
And one half said it happened in Ruven, in Nisa, one said it happened in, in, in ER. You always follow the later date. And the warranty only covers something that would be collected from that time and on. But anything from before wouldn't work. And what's the idea? The idea is that by accepting the second star, Shimon is in fact, as we're going to see in the Gemara coming up, he is um, being mochel any, any warranty that he had before by accepting the second document that says it's only from the later date. So he's being mochel if there would be any collection from an earlier debtor from before that time, then he's being mochel that he won't go back to Reuven. So the question is, what do I see over there? I see that when there's two stars on the same transfer, you go only after the second one and it actually nullifies the effect of the first star. So how come here when the woman is holding two stars, why do we say that she has the option of using either one, just depending if she wants the 200 or the 300, which depending which one she is up to her to use, why don't we say that the second star, the woman accepting the second tsuba, that should nullify the whole validity of the first star and, and she shouldn't be able to use it at all. She should only be able to use the second star and collect from the second time. So the Gemara explains because Lav Mi Itmar Allah was said about Rav Nachman, Amar Papa, Modu Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman agrees, the Osipay Dikla. Let's say it's not Stam a second star on the exact same, it's not the same deed on the exact same sale. The second, the second sale added a little bit that there was also a palm tree which was sold, meaning it's basically essentially the same thing. It says, oh, he sold him the field, but the second document adds a little bit. It's not just a repeat. It doesn't just say the same thing. He adds that there was also a, another palm tree which was, which was transferred. Then the Tosefet's Kasseh, we could say it's not shot the second deed is nullifying the first one. It just is adding the palm tree as well. So we say if it's saying the exact same thing and doesn't add anything, then I say the purpose of the second deed is to nullify the first deed and remove the lien that existed from the first deed. But if it, the second deed was adding that there was a palm tree included in the sale, so then it's not nullifying the first deed. It's just adding. So Hachanami, we could say the same thing in Rafuna's case. Ha'osifla midi, he added something. Originally her ksuba was 200 zuz. The second ksuba said it was 300 zuz. So it's not shot the second ksuba was written with the purpose of canceling the, the, all the shibudim that were created by the time of the first ksuba. But we say rather it was added for the purpose of putting in another 100 zuz and therefore the woman has the options of using both. So now that we clarify, we understand here, now we can understand the concept. And there's two stars saying the exact same thing just with a different date, not adding anything there we say the purpose of the second one was that the buyer or the woman in, in, in a case of uh, Suba would be accepting cancellation of the Shibut from the first deed. But wherever the second, the second deed, the second star was adding more to it, then we say, no, 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 it's not canceling the Shibut. It's just giving her more options of collecting more from the second date. And that's in case, that is in fact what we say, what we say with the Suba. So now the Gemara analyzes a little bit more what we said. Gufa Amar Nachmi, and what did Rav Nachman tell When two deeds are produced on the same field but are dated one after the other, Beetle Shani's Arisha, and the second deed nullifies the first, meaning the warranty that exists from the first one is canceled. Amar Rav Papa, Mud Rav Nachman, the Osipa Diklo to Sevaskas. As we just said, Rav Nachman agrees that if you added a palm tree in the second deed, then he wrote it just for the addition. It doesn't come to nullify the warranty of the first star. Says the Gemara Pshita, it's obvious to us. Let's say it doesn't add anything, but it switches the method of mechanism. The first deed says it was a sale. It says Ruvain sold the field. And the second deed says Ruvain gave it to Shimon as a gift. So he didn't add anything more, but it switches the mechanism. So there we say, he's not nullifying the first deed. The only reason he wrote him the second deed was in order to give him more power. And what greater power would he have? The law of Bar Metzra. What is the law of Bar Metzra? 
So the law of bar mitzra is that whenever, whenever there's uh, some sort of sale which takes place, somebody who is a neighbor can protest the sale and say, hey, I get first dibs on that. Who are you to go ahead and buy right next to me? You could buy anywhere in town, but for me to own this field, which is next to my field that I own already, is a lot more important because then I can, you know, think about it. It's much more convenient and efficient to have two fields next to each other. So the law is that a bar mitzvah can always stop and block a sale that is made on a neighboring property. Very interesting halacha. It's based upon what Vasisa Hayashar Vatov. Person should always do what is right and just, and you should always fold. You should always give to the bar mitzvah ahead of yourself. That's all if you're buying property because you could buy. You could buy anywhere. But when you're given a present right next to somebody else, somebody can't stop that present. Even he's a neighbor because you can't say, "Why'd you take a present here? You could go take a present anywhere in town." That's not true. <laughs> the present is where the present is. I don't have the option of getting a present somewhere else. So where I go purchase a field. So the neighbor can stop me and say, Bar Metzra, I, I wanted to purchase that. But where it's given to me as a present, I can't. So now we can understand that let's say the first deed said it was a sale and the second deed said it was a present. It's not Pshat, it's coming to be mavatal the first deed and say that the warranty from the first deed is batal. The Pshat, why he wrote in the second deed was to enhance the power and to stop any future Bar Metzra from taking it away. The Koshikin, and all the more obvious, let's say the first deed was said that it was a gift and the second deed said it was a sale, we say that it wasn't nullifying anything. It was just for the law of the creditors that he wrote the second deed. What does that mean? He wanted that if the, if the creditors would take the field from the recipient, he should be entitled to be reimbursed for, the, for that amount. Because usually, a sale, we always assume that there's a warranty on. But you don't necessarily assume that on a gift that there's a warranty. You know, I give you the gift, you take it, but only at your own risk. If somebody takes it away, you can't come back to me and say, hey, uh, I was seized, I want another gift. If it was a sale, you can come back and say, I want that. So if it was originally granted to him as a gift, and then he wrote him another star, which was a, <clears throat> which was, which was a sale, we say, no, it's not being mavatal. The, the gift and forfeiting anything from that from from that was previously he just wrote it to him so that if creditors would come and seize it he should have the right to go back how the only time where we say that he has been of both deeds said it was a sale and again they didn't add anything more it was a sale it said in Nisan, then it was a sale in in in, in, in ear or they were both written that they were a transfer. There we say, that's Rav Nachman's rule that the second deed nullifies the first. So even though it says he got the property earlier, but by accepting the second star, when the purchaser, the one getting it as a gift, just gets a repeat star that adds nothing, it doesn't change anything, it just simply repeats the fact that the transfer took place, then we say what the acceptance is nullifying the original power of the first star. So now the Gemara tries to understand that a little bit better. My timer. Lamaisa, how does the second deed nullify the first one? Meaning, as Lamaisa, we have a first deed, we have a star. It said it happened in Nisan. So now we're saying the second one, if it's not changing anything, it's not modifying or adding, then it's all it's doing is nullifying. It takes away the power of the first star. We view it as if the transfer only happened later. It says the Gemara, how and why? Why is it like that? So Rafram Amar, Imar Adui Odule. By the recipient taking a star that says he only got it later, obviously it's hurting him because then that means that any previous creditors from an earlier time can take it away. So why would he accept a star that has a later date? You know what it must be? It's an admission that the first star was a puzzle star, meaning it's as if the purchaser of the field by accepting the later deed is saying, I admit that any witnesses that signed on the first star that had happened in an earlier time, they were liars, it was a forgery, and it's a bad star. So normally we, don't, we trust the star. There are, there are signed signatures, so on and so forth. We believe in it. 
But in this case, if there's a later one, we say that the acceptance of the later star is an admission from the purchaser or the recipient of the gift that the first star was not a good star. Or we could say that the recipient was waving the lien, meaning it was a mechila. We assume the star was good and really was transferred earlier, but he's waving the earlier lien and he's limiting himself to collection if the land would be seized from him only from lands which were sold after the second deed. So it's a mechila. He's being nice to the one who granted it or sold it to him. My benai, what's the practical difference if it's an admission that the first star is rubbish or if it's just being mochel, um, he's waving the lien. Does it disqualify the witnesses on the first star? If it's an admission that the first star was no good, so now we know that these witnesses are not good witnesses. Now, that doesn't mean in an objective sense because to pass a witnesses objectively, you need two people admitting, saying that they're no good. But it means clappy this person. If this person in the future would want to bring these witnesses to something to help him benefit, benefit him, we would say, no, you already admitted that these witnesses are not good because when you accepted the second deed years ago, Go, that proved to us that your first deed was no good and you admitted that the first witnesses are not reliable. So now you can't use them in the future. Period. Or to repay the fruits that were eaten by the recipient. Meaning, if you're admitting that the first deed was a fraudulent deed, you didn't own the field from them, then the guy who sold it to you can go back and say you all those fruits that you ate between Nisan and Iyar are not, are, you didn't have the right to. So you have to reimburse me for all the fruits that you ate from the field. And for the property tax, right? Who had to pay the property tax in Nissan? We assume that it was the purchasers who belonged from Nissan, but if really it's not that way, if he's admitting that he wasn't, so then the property tax, he's not the one who necessarily has to do it. The first deed was fraudulent. So therefore, the real owner was, the, was still the mocher. He has to pay the property tax. Mashengen, if you go with the second shot, that it's a mechila of the lien. So it's not shot we're saying that the transfer didn't occur at the earlier time. It did. We're just saying he was mochel the earlier lien. So now the Gemara just cleans up. We want to know, going back to yesterday's Daphma, what is the law about the Ksuba? Well, again, just to revisit what the question was from yesterday. The question was, the, our Mishnah held in Arusa has a Ksuba. So even if a Ksuba is not written, technically all the husband's properties are Meshubit as soon as they become, she becomes an Arusa, as soon as the Arusin happens. But typically the Shtar is not written until right before the Nesuin. So we want to know when practically are the properties Meshubit, from the time of Arusin or from the time of the writing of the Ksuba. So yesterday was a dispute. So now we say, the basic suba amount, the mana or masayim, that's collectible from the time of Arisen. And any supplementary amount that the husband is from his own volition giving more, that's only from the time it was written from the Nesuin. Both, even the basic amount goes after the time it's written from the time right before the Nesuin. How do we paskin? Both this one and that one are collectible from the time only of the Nesuin. So basically, the interesting idea, if you don't write Aksuba at all, it's like a Tanai Basin that there has to be Aksuba. Right? We make such a big deal sometimes today about the document and this and that. But Lamaisa, uh, the ksuba is owed. Husband and wife shouldn't be together without a ksuba. 100%. She should have security. But the actual debt is owed even if you don't write a ksuba. It's tonight based it. So one could have made the argument that even that the property should be mishabut from the time of Arison. But Lamaisa, we paskin that we go after the time the ksuba is written and it's collectible from properties that the husband sold only from the time of Nesuin from when the ksuba was written. Okay, now we move on to a new topic. What is the new topic? Motzi Shemra. What is the parsha of Motzi Shemra? It is coming up, parsha Kitsese. So the story is a man takes a woman, he has Arison, and then he goes for Nesuin. 
He goes with her, he's with her the first time, he says, there were no basulim here. And in order to, to, to date, there can be many reasons there are no basulim. But the man, he's out, he's really upset about it, and he produces witnesses that say, we saw the woman who was mezana, she committed adultery while she was in Arusa. So if these witnesses are telling the truth, obviously the man doesn't have to pay exuba. But more than that, we kill the girl. We have witnesses that she was an adulteress. So that would be clear. But what happens if those Edenim are found to be Zomimim? And we are able to prove that the husband was just trying to slander the girl. And he produced these false witnesses to lie. So obviously the Edenim are Edenim Zomimim. But more than that, we give Malchus to the man. We give Malchus to the husband who slandered and he's defaming his wife. And he also has to pay 100 silver coins to the father. This is the idea. So what else happens? And we always have to play the double side. If it's true, we kill the girl, right? We kill it. If it's not true, then he's Motsi Shemra. So now we say as follows. We're going to assume the witnesses are true first, not where they're proud to be Zomimim. So we're going to kill the girl for committing adultery. Now, normally, what's the punishment for adultery? Chenek. It's a death sentence through strangulation. But in Naira, specifically this girl, who is, when she is Mo'oreses, while she's still in Arusa, if she's an adulteress in that thing, actually the penalty is more severe. It's Skila. It's the most fascinating thing. Naira HaMo'oreso, who commits adultery, is more severe than after she's fully married. After she's fully married, it's an, after intimate with her husband, it's only Chenek. But before, it's a unique halacha that we give Skila. So the Gemara says, Mishnah says, If a female convert and her convert converted with her, Vizinsa, and then the daughter committed adultery as as a Naira HaMo'oreso, the daughter only gets chenek, meaning she doesn't have the unique halacha that she gets kila. Why not? Why is that? Because the Torah says, when we kill her, it says because she did something shameful, be Yisrael. Be Yisrael means that the unique halacha of skila is only given to someone who was born Jewish, but not to a convert. So if the case happened that it was a convert who then became the Naira Ma'arasa, so then the halacha would be that it's a regular chenek penalty. It doesn't have the unique skila thing. And what else? She's not going to be required to be executed by her father's house. When it's Kila, what does the Pasuk say? She is stoned by her father's house. Like you want to say it's the bad, you know, the bad house that raised this girl. The Torah says she should be executed by the father's house, but not here. She doesn't even have a father. It's not like that. Um, it's not like that over here. And she's not entitled to the mea sela fine if the husband defamed her, meaning the whole halach of Motsi Shemra is only when it's Yisrael. The other side of the coin now, where the Edom are found to be Zomimin and the husband is the, is the bad guy, he doesn't pay the whole thing. The whole thing is only when it's Yisrael, not to a convert. What about a complex case? Let's say she was conceived before her mother had converted, but her mother converted while she was pregnant. So she was born to a Jewish mother. So in that case, she's born to a Jewish mother, Harizu Biskila. Then she is liable to the execution of stoning. Why? Because she is born a Jew. And we're going to see the Gemara will expound, will expound upon this because even though she's born to a Jewish mother, she really does is a convert because she wasn't conceived in Kedusha. So we'll have to see in the Gemara why is she liable to execution of stoning. We'll see. But still, she's not, she's not stoned by her father's house. She doesn't have a father. She's Harasa Shaloba Kedusha. She's considered that she went through the conversion with the mother. She doesn't have a father's house. And she's not entitled to the fine of 100 selah if the husband was found to defaming her. Because again, it's not Yisrael, but yet we still have a thing that somehow, since her, she was born to a Jewish mother, then we say, despite the fact that she's a convert, she does get stoning. We'll have to see that middle ground in the Gemara. Both the conception and her birth were B'Kedusha, meaning her mother converted before she got pregnant. Then, she's a regular Jewish woman. It doesn't matter that her parents are Gerim, but she was born and conceived as a regular Jew. So therefore, she's subject to all the regular halachas. She's stoned by her father's house, and if the husband's allegations are false, then he gets lashes, and she is entitled to the hundred. 
Continues the Mishnah, What if she has a regular father, rather good Jewish girl, but her father doesn't own a house? So what's the halacha? Or if there's an entrance to the house, but the father died, there's no father. So in those cases, she still gets stoning. Meaning, it's not shy, you only get stoning if it's in front of her father's house. It's not like that. It's preferable to be in front of her father's house. But if there's no house or there's no father, she's still stoned. It's only preferable that she be stoned. But if the father is not around, she still is uh, stoned. Just, it's not done in that specific uh, and not, and not, and not, she's still stoned, nonetheless, just not in that location. All right, so now we start the Gemara Lamed Beis Benanimili. How do we know this? So what do we mean, how do we know this? We're going on the second ruling, where she's a Nara Marasu who was conceived as a non-Jew, but then she was born to a Jewish mother, so it was a complicated case. We said, on the one hand, what do we say? That she is stoned. It is called Yisrael, even though she's a convert. Right? She was a Rasa Shalobah She was converted together with her mother when she was a fetus. On the other hand, we say that since she's not really Yisrael, we, we said that she's not, um, um, she's not stoned by her father's house, and she doesn't get the 100 cell of fine if the husband was found to be a liar. So what's shot that she is stoned Bechlal? She's not really a, a Yisrael. She was a Rasa Shalobah She was conceived without sanctity. So, there's an extra word. It says everyone stones her and she should die. So that is an extra word. It comes to include this case where a girl was conceived, not by Kedusha. But as long as she was born to a Jewish mother, then we say a new law that she gets skila. So it's Xerus HaKalsa that she gets skila. So Ihachi, if we're saying that she's included in this parsha of Motsi Shema, Milkanami Loka So if the husband was found to be the liar, the Eden were Zomimim, then why don't we say that the husband is subject to the regular punishment of the lashes and paying the hundred cell of fine? How come we're only including her to skila, but not including her to the other points? So it's only from the word that she should die. It's only for the death penalty that she's included for Lola Knas, but not for the fine. So basically we're saying, the Yisrael sets the tone that the halacha of Motsi Shemra, the parsha, is only said for a Jewish girl, not a convert. That's why if she's not even conceived, if she's not even born to a Jewish mother, there's nothing. Then there's just regular strangulation, there's no special stoning, and there's no lashes, and there's no 100, 100 shekel fine. What's unique is that the Torah wrote the word Umesa to teach if she was conceived Shalabakdusha, but her mother converted in the interim of her pregnancy and she's born to a Jewish mother, she does have skila, but if the husband is found to be the liar, there's no lashes and not fine. Says the Gemara of Amal the Rabbis Rasavle does with Dusha. Maybe the Pasuk is only, nasa, is only coming to talk about a case where she was conceived by Kedusha. Maybe the Pasuk is only coming to be Mabra in a case where her mother converted before she was conceived. How do you know that if her mother converted after she was conceived that the Torah is saying stoning? Maybe the extra word of Mesa is only coming to include the case where the mother was a convert who converted before she conceived. Says the Gemara, he Israel is If the woman was a full fledged convert before she conceived this girl, then the girl's a regular Jew. So that you wouldn't need a Pasuk for that. Clearly the Pasuk was only coming to include a case even where she was conceived, Shalobah Kedusha. Says the Gemara of Amal the Rabbis Rosh Hashanah Kedusha. Okay, then let's push it the other extreme. Maybe the Pasuk says to Mesa, it's coming to say that even if, even if the girl's a Giorah, so maybe even if the girl converted after she was born. Maybe even in such a case, there should still be halacha that she is stoned. And maybe the whole din be Yisrael is not true. Says the Gemara, can't be Yisrael, my highlights. What do we do with the word be Yisrael? So meaning we have to balance the drushes. On the one hand, the word be Yisrael teaches that to a convert, the parsha Motsi Shemra is not said. So if the parsha Motsi Shemra is not said, so if the girl is a convert, there's no law that she is stoned. We apply that to where, where she converted after she was born. But in the case of Umeso, we have to use that drasha as well. That's if she was conceived but then there we apply the halacha of Mesa that she is in fact stoned.
Okay, continues the Gemara. Let's say someone is this whole parish of Motsi Shema, he's defaming a girl, but he or she is an orphan girl. If she doesn't have parents, so if she doesn't have parents, what is the halacha? Pater, he doesn't pay the fame. Even though the Adim that he proved, that he brought to, 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 to prove that she was an adulteress, they found to be Zomamin. So ordinarily the Torah says he gets lashes and he pays the hundred shekels. But not for Yisoma, Shinemar, as it says in the Pasuk, V'nosnu la'avi hanara. That he should give the hundred silver coins to who? He should give it to the father of the girl. This excludes this girl who has no father. So if there is no father at all, then we say that if he defamed her, he does not pay. Says the Gemara, What did the Bryce say? So here we're actually talking about a different context. We're talking about a seducer. We're talking about the case where a man seduced an Nara to sleep with him. And the Torah there says if he wants to marry her, and they want to marry each other, good. But if the parties don't want to marry each other, then he pays the 50 shekel fine. So there we say, So we say a double language of refusing. It comes to include an orphan girl for the fine. Meaning that even if there's no father and it's just her, so then there's also Allah that either he marries her or he pays the fine. So basically what the Gemara is doing in a very interesting question is the Gemara is comparing just as the Allah of the seducer, even though typically the recipient of the fine is the father. But if she is an orphan, then theoretically now she can refuse the marriage and, and collect on the fine. So why don't I say the same thing over here about the Motsi Shemra? Now it's a little bit of a puzzling Gemar because it's a new thing. Like it's not the same case. One is Motsi Shemra where you take the girl and you bring false witnesses and accuse her of being an adulteress and then they're found to be Zomimim and the Torah says you pay. There we said a Motsi Shemra ala Yisoma Pater because it says you pay the Avianar. In the case of the seducer, where we have the other words in ma'in yima'in, the double language, which is showing the connotation that we could be talking just about the girl. Maybe the Torah said different, but the Gemara is still comparing the two cases. And if there is a the payment to the na'ara, even not to the girl, in the case of the seducer, the Gemara is saying we should say the same thing by motzi shemra as well. So the Gemara says, The brides were talking about a case where he had the bia with her and then she became an orphan. So in other words, she only became orphaned after the crime. There we say that she is, um, she could get paid. And that would be the same thing over here as well by Motsi Shema. We're only talking about a case that was excluded by Motsi Shema or Mafuta where she was an orphan at the time of the marriage. Where at the whole time, the whole story, she was an orphan. But in a Hanami, if she would be at the time of the, of the crime of the Motsi Shema, she would, there was a father. Just afterwards, subsequently, the father died. In Hachanami, it would not be excluded and he would pay the orphan as opposed to paying the father. So that's why we're coming out. Both Moshe Shem and Mafota, you could theoretically pay the girl, but only if the father died after the story. If the father was dead, she was orphaned from before the story, then he, the, 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 the bad guy, the guilty man does not pay. Says the Gemara, Rav Amar Chayav. Rav argues on Rabbi Yisrael. He says, if somebody is Moshe Shema on the orphan, he is liable. Shemimai, how do I know me? The Tani, the Ami. There was a price that was taught by Ami. The price that says, Besulas Yisrael. Hear about the Moshe Shema. He was Moshe Shema about a Besulas Yisrael. Below Besulas Gerim. Yisrael comes to exclude the, the, the Besula who is a Ger. Remember, we said that, that if she was an or, that she, if she was a convert, let's say, just keep it simple. She only converted after uh, she, uh, after she was born, then there's no law that if he defames her, he pays. Now, every single convert has no father. That's an interesting point, even if she has a biological father, but Gerkish and his Gerkish and Shinola don't. So the Torah is excluding a Ger. 
Now, if you would say that an orphan who's a Jewish-born orphan, the halacha is that you are liable and you do have to pay for defaming her. That's why you would need a pasuk to exclude a convert. Because even though a regular orphan, you do pay the fine. But for a convert, you do not. If you tell me for an orphan girl, be Yisrael, if she's a regular orphan, you're potter. Why do I have to exclude a convert? Every convert is an orphan. Would it be a novelty that your potter went into Gare? So basically, if we accept that premise that every single convert is an awesome orphan, because even if they have a biological father, but they're not related to it, why do I need the Pasuk to exclude Basulas Gare? Must be a Basulas, a Basulas Yisoma. If you're Moti Shem Soma, you are generally liable if it's a regular Jewish-born girl. It just happens to be an orphan, and that's why it's necessary to say the new halacha that for a gioris, you're pater. So Rava's proving that the halacha is Moti Shem Soma is chayav from the fact that we have to exclude a gioris. Continues the Gemara Amar Shlakish another Amor makes a new statement. Hamoti Shem Alaktana pater. The halacha is only for a nara. When you're defaming the nara. Specifically, a girl between 12 and 12 and a half. But if it's a minor girl, then under the age of 12, you are potter. Shanemar, what does the Hana'ara. So it says Hana'ara in the full. Na'ara Mali, Dibar Hakatsov. In other words, sometimes in, by, by the parsha of Mofota, for example, it says Hana'ara without the hey at the end of the word. It's pronounced the same, but it's missing the letter. But here, by Moti Shema, it says it complete. And since it says it complete, we learn it's only if it's a complete Na'ara, full Na'ara, but not a minor. Says the Gemara, what Rish Lakish said is true, but his reasoning seems flawed. It sounds like it's only because that you had to write it with a final hey. If it wouldn't be written with that, is that true? You would really think that the law of Motsi Shema could apply to a minor. What's the two sides of Motsi Shema? The two sides are if it's true, you kill her, and if it's not true, you pay and you get lashes. How could that be if we're talking about a minor? If it was true and there were no signs of virginity for the Nara, meaning that the witnesses weren't found to be fouls. We take the Nara out to the entrance of the father's house and we stone her. Clearly, we're not talking about a Katana because a minor is not subject to punishment. So if it, remember, there's two sides of the coin here. If it's true, you kill her. And if it's not true, you pay for defaming her. Who are we talking about? A minor? For a minor, you can't say the half of the story that if it's true, you kill her because a katana is never punished. She's lapas onchin. Even if she did commit adultery, you wouldn't kill her. Clearly, we're not talking in our context of Moshe Shema. We're not talking about a katana. So therefore, the other half, that if it's found that's true, that the husband was defaming her, the Edom were zomim and that he pays, we assume we're not talking about a katana as well. So what are we doing? We're saying that what Rish Lakish said is obvious. Rish Lakish said, Moshe Shema al-Katana is pater. Rish Lakish said it's only because there was a, a full Hey, the word Hanara had the hey at the end of the word. It sounds like if it didn't have the, the hey at the end of the word, we might say Moti Shema is Chayav. What the Gemara is troubled by is that it's obvious that Moti Shema Alakdana is Potter because I can't fulfill that if it's true, you'd kill her. So why do I need the hey? So Ravacha therefore reinterprets what Rish meant. Elakan Nara. The point is, I would know it intuitively here, and yet the Torah went out of its way to write the extra hey. Why? To tell me that normally where it says Nara in the Torah, if it would say Nara without the extra hey, then the implication would be even if we're talking about a minor. So it's not telling us a chiddush by Motsi Shema. By Motsi Shema, intuitively, we know we're not talking about a minor because I know I can't kill her if it's true. But it wrote the extra hey to tell me that generally, if it would say Hanara without the extra hey, without the full hey, you would know we're even talking about a minor. And why is that so relevant? Where is that relevant to us? 
It's relevant to us for Onasumafate by the story of the rapist or the seducer. The mayor says it's only for a girl between 12 and 12 and a half. The Rabbanan say it's even for a minor. How did the Rabbanan know it? From this source. The Rabbanan know it because there it says Anara without a hay. So we learn, no, only where it says Anara with a hay is it Dafka girls above the age of 12. Where it says Anara without the hay, then we derive that it's even for a girl who is a minor. So in conclusion, we definitely would true what Rishlaka said, Moti Shema Al-Katana is Pater. Rabbi Shalakash made a point that it comes from the extra aid that's not necessary for this case itself it's only necessary to tell us that generally Hanar without a hay is including a minor and what else do we conclude? Motsi Shema Ala Yisoma it is a machlokas whether or not you pay okay we'll stop here